0: Well, good morning. What a joy it is to be with you here in person and as we are live streaming from our living rooms with community groups and and our families and on our own. Just a a joy to be uh, together to worship God and to again uh, hear from his word out of the book of Hebrews. Rest, rest, rest. It's one of the repetitious words and ideas that. A capture of chapters 3 and 4 of the book of Hebrews, rest. I'm guessing because the church that the author of Hebrews is writing to is much like us today. Here particularly, in this area of the country, we are a burdened and maybe even a burned out people. Uh, who are not enjoying the kind of rest that the author of Hebrews says is available to us today. It's a rest that we all long for, but we so seldom attain that is immediately open to us in Christ today. But we are a burdened and burned out people. I think one of the main reasons is because we have misdiagnosed the cause or the reason for our unrest uh, go with me back to March 2020, just about a year ago, right? Uh, before the pandemic hit, right? Well, what do you think, uh, if you could just have this or if circumstances might change to this, you would find rest, right? If you had what? A bit more margin. If you had a, a, a bit less to do. Then you or I, we, we would find rest. We would have the rest that we have longed for, uh, that we so seldom attain. If we could just kind of increase our margin and decrease the things we're doing, uh, we could stop and we could find rest. But, but didn't that happen? <laughs> didn't that happen this year? And and didn't your, your burdens maybe increase? And don't you feel a bit more burned out even today than you did back in March 2020? As the author of Hebrews has been doing through our first two weeks in the book of Hebrews, he will now compare Jesus to Moses. Last week, we we talked about how Jesus is compared to angels and these angels who are so transcendent, so amazing, so glorious that Jesus is greater than them but he's so accessible to us. He he is transcendent, but he is imminent. He is with us. And, And today what we'll see in this comparison of Jesus to Moses is that only in Christ will we find the rest that we all long for and so seldom attain, but is immediately available to us today in him. So we'll walk through Hebrews chapters 3 and 4, and first we're going to see the cause of our unrest, that we might not misdiagnose it. And then we will see God's command towards uh, this deep rest, and it's uh, an unlikely road that we will travel to get to uh, get to that deep rest that is promised to us in Christ. So let's look at this together. We'll first look at the cause of unrest and then the command and way towards a deep rest the cause of our unrest. Uh, Hebrews chapter three, like I said, begins with its comparison of Jesus to Moses. So uh, every uh, Jewish believer in Christ at this time, when they hear about Moses, all the stories of Exodus and Leviticus, they just start pouring into their minds. They know these stories like at the back of their hands. And so when the author of Hebrews starts talking about Moses, uh, the exodus primarily comes into their mind when when Moses would rescue the Israelites out of Egypt and take them towards the promised land. a a, A land of what? A land of rest. And the author of Hebrews Start singing a song to talk about it. Psalm 95. Psalm 95. Uh, This is in verse 7 of chapter 3 in Hebrews. Psalm 95. Uh, Maybe you know this psalm. This is a psalm uh, that we often sing even in our worship songs. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the Lord of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. Like, God, you're awesome. God, you're awesome. God, you're awesome. But that's not what the author is quoting. See, that's verses 1 to 7, and the author is quoting verse 7 to 11. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me, God, to the test and put me to the proof that they had seen my work. For 40 years, I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their hearts They've not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. The song of the Israelites is singing on repeat. I'm a musician. I played trumpet for years and years and years and Whenever you hit that, that repeat sign on the staff, you, you, you go back uh, to either the beginning or to the previous repeat sign that locks in the repeat. And, and what happens is you hit it, and you go back, and you do it again. And you hit it, and you go back, and you do it again. And what the author of Hebrews is saying, he is, he's given this warning. Don't harden your hearts. Do not hear what the Lord says and refuse him just like the Israelites kept doing over and over again. Again, What did they keep doing over and over again? The passage captures it in these two repetitious words or ideas over and over again in chapters 3 and 4 of Hebrews. Evil and unbelief. Disobedience, disbelief over and over again. To the point where God looks at him and says, you shall never enter my rest. Go back with me to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter five. Moses and his brother Aaron have gone to the Pharaoh and they have said, "Uh, Pharaoh, let God's people go. And the Pharaoh responds in verse 2, but Pharaoh, who, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. See, the people of Israel are enslaved. God's people are enslaved in Egypt. And Moses and Aaron come to the Pharaoh, and they say, let uh, uh, our, God's people go. And, and instead, the Pharaoh says, go back to your burdens, verse 4. Send these people, God's people, back to their burdens. And then he says, and actually, let's not give them straw anymore to make bricks, right? Maybe you're familiar with this story. Let's not give them what they need to make these bricks, but instead, verse 9 of chapter 5, let heavier work be laid on the men that they might labor at it and pay no reward for lying words. (laughs) God says, I will free my people and take them into a promised land of rest. And Pharaoh says, no, you won't. And then immediately, the people who are ready to line up behind Moses and Aaron and move towards rest, immediately, in fickle ways, they turn themselves away from the Lord. in verse 21, they say, the Lord look on you and judge you, Moses, because you have made a stink in the sight of Pharaoh. And you have put a sword in their hand to kill us. (laughs) Then Moses turned to the Lord and he says, oh, Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? Since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to the people and you've not delivered your people at all. God says, I'm going to free my people and give them rest. And Moses says, no, you're not. Look what just happened. And the people are like, we we cannot trust this Moses, this Aaron, and we cannot trust his Lord. We do not believe and we will not obey. And they do it over and over again. They hit disbelief and disobedience over and over again in their path towards what could have brought a deep rest. In chapter 16, God says, I'm going to provide you uh, food. I'll provide you manna from heaven. And what do the people do? They, they're, they're grumbling. They're saying, God, he's brought us out here to kill us. And God says, I'll give you manna to eat. So he, he rains down from heaven and every night, manna, what's it, for these people to eat? His people. And he says, look, just collect. Just collect enough for one day's worth. And they say, no, we can't trust you. Like, we need to at least collect two days' worth. We, we don't believe that, you, just like before, right? You didn't provide for us, and, and what if you don't give us manna tomorrow? We, we need a bit more disbelief, disobedience over and over again. At Massa and Meribah, a place of testing and quarreling amongst each other and before the Lord, they, they test him. They, they do not believe him again. They're like, we are so thirsty. And he says, I'll provide you water to drink. And he's like, yeah, right. And so he has Moses hit this rock and water spills out. But over and over again, the people look at their Lord and they say, we do not believe you. We hear what you say, but we will not do it. Exodus 32, one of the the big times of of disbelief and disobedience repeated over and over again. Uh, Moses is up on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments, direct commands from the Lord. The Lord is actually writing these commands with his finger on stone. One of the commands, don't make for yourself an idol, don't worship anyone else but me the Lord. Lo and behold, as Moses is coming down from the mountain, he hears singing, and the people have fashioned a golden calf to worship this idol rather than the Lord. Over and over again. Disbelief and disobedience. And Moses interacts with God after that because God says, I'm going to pour my wrath on them. They will never have my rest. And Moses begs and pleads. He's like, please go with us. If you leave us, we will have no rest. And the Lord says, you're right. If I leave you, you will have no rest, and I'll, I'll keep going with you. Disobedience and disbelief over and over again. The cause of their unrest, the cause of our unrest is not circumstantial. It's not being in slavery or out of slavery wandering. The the cause is not circumstantial. Uh, The author of Hebrews over and over again, evil, unbelieving, evil, disobedience, unbelieving, over and over through chapter 3 and chapter 4 of Hebrews says the cause of our unrest is a severe relational problem with the giver of rest. It's a severe relational problem with the giver of rest. Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil and unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Chapter 3, verse 12 of Hebrews. Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. He repeats it over and over. And over again, down verse 18 of chapter 3. And to whom did God swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were unable to enter because of their unbelief. Over and over again. Verse 6 of chapter 4. Since therefore it remains for some to enter this rest. Those who formerly received the good news failed to enter this rest because of disobedience. See, in our disobedience and in our disbelief, we look at the one who might give us rest, and we say, I'll find life in another place. In our disobedience, we look at the one who we are to obey, and we disobey, and there is a churning in our hearts because we, have no, we know we have mistrusted, uh, we have uh, disobeyed, stepped out of line with the one who is the king of the world, king of creation, and our Father. You know what infuriates me most is a dad. <laughs> When I say, hey kids, come on over. I got something I need to share with you. And, and it's often something bad. They know this. It's a, hey, it's time to clean the house. And I start talking about kind of who's responsible for what. And then one of them turns and walks away as I'm talking. That <laughs> infuriates me, right? Like I'm saying, no, no, I am telling you to do this or that. And, and they don't care. And they walk away. It creates this relational discord between the two of us that that permeates throughout the whole house and certainly in his or her life and my own. And if that occurs over and over again, there's a warning to heed. If we look at our Father in heaven and say, thanks, but no thanks, over and over again. uh, You say you are my security. You say you are my provision, but no thanks. I'll believe something or someone else for my security and provision. You say, do this or that. I I say, no thanks. I'll do my own thing, this or that. When we do that over and over, there is a warning to heed. Today, if you hear his voice, the giver of rest, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion that we just looked at in Exodus. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Over and over again, this phrase shows up. Today, uh, down in verse 15, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Again, over in verse 6 of chapter 4, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Why? Because brick after brick after brick becomes a wall. Uh, Little cracks untreated in relational realms create huge, massive canyons. Uh, Bricks slowly become walls and cracks become canyons if over and over again we say, thanks, but no thanks. I I will trust in other things. I will find life in other places. I will do as I please. The relational reality is Accurately defined as a hard heart. You ever had one of those kind of hard hearts towards someone? It's it's, it's the same kind of thing that God says can develop between me and you, which will lead to a severe unrest in your life. Ever had one of those hard hearts? Maybe it's with your mother-in-law, right? Like, uh, over and over again, you don't uh, 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 um, uh, find reconciliation in your conflicts. Or or over and over again, uh, she says this and you do that, or you say this and she does that. And over and over again, the relational tensions grow, and brick becomes brick, becomes wall, and cracks become canyons. And one day you just say, forget it. I don't even want a relationship with her. Marriage after marriage, brick after brick, and crack becoming canyon over and over. You know when the heart is hard, when we begin to roll our eyes at each other. It's just you being you. Forget it. A hard heart. And the Lord says, They shall not enter whose rest? My rest. Because there is a severe relational problem with the giver of rest, and he looks at us and he says, I swear in my wrath, you will not enter my rest then. We've seen the cause. The cause is the reality of a broken relationship, even in an overarching way or a day in, day out kind of way, with our living God, our giver of rest. And there's a warning to us that if over and over again in our disobedience, our disbelief, we keep turning our back on our God, that we will find ourselves with a hard heart towards our God, the giver of rest. So we've seen the cause and the warning. What is the command and the way into this rest? Because it is an unexpected way into this deep rest. The command shows up, the key command, the principal command of the whole passage shows up in chapter 4, verse 11, uh, where the author of Hebrews says, Let us therefore, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Let us therefore strive to enter our rest that no one may fall short by the same sort of disobedience. Let us therefore, right? In view of what? Everything that has come before. So uh, he's going to unpack a little bit more of the context of after uh, Moses and the exodus out of Egypt, what occurs. Uh, First, he says, because uh, everyone reading the passage through chapter 3 and on is saying, man, what do we do then? If the Lord looks right at us and said, you'll never enter my rest because of your hard heart and disobedience. What do we do? And before he gets to this command in verse 11, he gives the context in chapter 4, verse 1. He says, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, <laughs> let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. He says, hey, look, look, you can still have this rest. The rest that has resulted in a broken relationship, either in an overarching way or in a day-in, day-out way with your God, well, you can, that, that rest is still available to you. And we all say, oh, phew. Verse 4, then, he gives us kind of more clarity of what kind of rest this is. For he has somewhere spoken. I love that kind of quote of the Old Testament passage, Genesis 2, 2. He says, it's somewhere back there. And it's Genesis 2, uh, verse 2. God rested on the seventh day from all of his works. And he says, this rest is still available to you. It's a lot like that rest that your God had when he rested after creation, when he made you, when he made me, and he stepped back and he said, it's good, let's enjoy it together. It's this Sabbath kind of, and the word chosen here through the passage is like the, uh, focusing on the celebration of the Sabbath. It's the enjoyment of relationship with the giver of rest. It's the stepping back from our work, both our legalism and our disobedience, and saying, you can enjoy me. It's that kind of rest that you can have. And then he goes to this next piece of Joshua. So did you hear it? He said, uh, you won't get it back here in Exodus by getting out of a certain situation. Uh, There's a rest available that's like this rest that God had, and you can enjoy it. And it's it's way better now, he says, than the rest even offered through Joshua. Verse 8, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains this Sabbath rest for the people of God. Uh, well, every Jewish mind in this moment is saying, oh, Joshua, of course. Moses didn't get the people rest because they wandered in the wilderness uh, and, and many the generations died. And, and, and God didn't even take Moses in. But Joshua, he changed our circumstance. He got us in. He got us to where we were going to have that rest. And the author of Hebrews says, but even that wasn't enough. Why does he do this right before the command of let us, therefore, these things, right, strive to enter that rest? Well, here's what he's saying. This is not a circumstance issue. This is a relational issue. You you wanted to get out of slavery for rest, and so you did. But you wandered in your disobedience and and disbelief over and over, lacking rest. And, And then you got into the circumstance you hoped you would get, but it still wasn't enough. Because it all points to a deeper, greater rest that each of us long for when we are ultimately rescued from our disobedience and our disbelief. Rest does not result from change of circumstance, but change of relationship. One of my favorite moments each morning, it happens almost every morning, I just love it. (laughs) We sit around the breakfast table. It's 7 o'clock or ish, right? Whenever everyone gets there, we try and get them all there. And we're eating cereal and and then we pull out uh, the, uh Roland uh, Bingham is the book we're reading right now. Uh, this missionary who started SIM—it's uh, uh, Sudan Inland Mission. It's basically this mission that brought the gospel to parts of Sudan that had never been reached, and and Roland Bingham uh, led this charge, right? And so we're reading him, uh, and and we just read Gladys Allward. It was really fun. This uh, gal who just said, "I'm going to China to preach the gospel," and, and and everyone said, "We're not sending you. We're not supporting you." She's like, "I don't care. I'm going." It was amazing. it was great. And uh, we try and pick, like, the most gory, the most courageous missionary books to read around the table because the kids are like, this is cool, right? And we're reading it. One of my favorite moments, every morning almost, it happens. I'm sitting at the head of the table. Leo finishes his cereal. He scoots his chair back. Little five-year-old stud of a guy he is. And he, he climbs up into my lap. And I hold him there while I'm reading the book. It's this just magic moment most mornings, and I'm like, this is awesome. And, and you know what? I, I think he does this every morning because he's like, ah, I'm in my dad's arms. I'm protected, I'm cared for, I'm loved, I'm secure. And I just hold him and we read. That's the kind of deep rest that our God wants to take us into. And We do not want to walk the road that gets us there. It's why I think the author of Hebrews says strive to enter that rest because here's the road and it is a gory one. Here's the road and it is a gory one into the arms, into the lap of our God and our Savior. Verse 11, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Four, explanation of how to get there. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from God's sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. I got a new carving knife, Doll Strong Gladiator Series. I mean, it's the best, but it is super sharp. We keep it up high so that no one can touch it. See, this isn't your, your cutesy tootsy uh, sword drills. Hey, uh, who knows what's in Psalm 119.11? Oh, oh, I do. I do sword drill. No, no, no. This is the word of God sharper than any two edged sword to pierce the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. This is sacrificial language from Leviticus chapter 1, 2, and 3 of saying, when you place your guilt on this guilty animal, chop him up. Slices bones and marrow as he carries the guilt of you, the people, that he might be burnt on the offering before the Lord. Filleted. The way to enter the rest of God is to first be filleted by his word, cut apart by the sword of God, that we would cling to the Savior, our God is first to sit under his scalpel and say, I have sinned, I am disobedient, where you have said you want to be my security, you want to be my identity, you want to be my rest, and my hope, I have turned other places. And every day I keep turning to other sources for rest and life, and every day when you say do this, I do that. Cut up, exposed, the text says. Let's heed the warning to be cut up before it is too late. Before our heart becomes so hard in disobedience and disbelief that it is too late. Because our hearts are so hard. Can you imagine Ravi Zacharias as he's heading towards his deathbed? Created an amazing ministry where the gospel is proclaimed and and all these secular arguments uh, are dismantled by this amazing, uh, thoughtful, faith-filled, logical approach that only Ravi could do, right? Like if you've listened to him or you've read his readings, uh, you just say, man, this guy is blowing my mind. Like he is showing me the Lord. And somewhere down the line, there was an incremental choice of do not look lustfully at a woman. And he said, no, thanks. And that turned into this, into that, having his own private phone, going to his own private meetings and covering it up for his whole life to a point where he would have 200 contacts of uh, massage parlor women on his phone. But the whole time, covering it up. Can you imagine the inner turmoil uh, when this person raises the concern and he has to demonize and squelch and suppress her in a way to keep it all hidden? Because way back here he decided, I will not listen to my God. I will not trust my God for a deep rest, for identity, uh, for holiness. I will not. And he slowly and privately walked and led his life. until the truth cut him to pieces after he had passed on. You might feel a, a bit of unrest at work because if you could just get kind of uh, that next promotion, man, then you'd be respected. Then your wife or your husband would look at you differently and say, Man, you have, you have made it. Then your coworkers would look around. Then you would get to write that article that everyone would read. You'd get to uh, share that presentation that everyone would clap for. And if you could just get that. So you just cheat just a little bit here or that. And you just start to overlook your coworkers and not just overlook them, but begin to step on them. And then one of them creates a great idea, you steal it. And over and over again, because you need this to find that rest of soul would we find ourselves before the scalpel of the Lord's word way back here before it's too late you want the rest first we must find ourselves under the scalpel of God's word realizing we are disobedient disbelieving people with nowhere to hide before our God. But then we say, oh my God, then what? (laughs) I wanted rest, and all I feel is more turmoil, seeing the the bulk of my sin and even these intimate areas of my life that I didn't realize sin had crept into, uh, the sinews and the muscles and the bones and every aspect of who I am. Now you've laid it bare as I've sat before your word and reflected and understood that I'm not trusting you in these areas of my life where I find unrest, that that I'm seeking uh, salvation and security in other ways, and I'm even disobeying and disbelieving you all over the place, and I find no rest. How do I have rest? Since then, since this is our situation, then would we know we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, the holy one, the mighty one, the perfect one, Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. What we know is true about him and what he's done. For we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. First, we must recognize after we've been cut apart by the scalpel of God's word that we have a Savior in Christ who's walked through the heavens and has been tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. That that we would say, man, he knows me. I think I have to hide this guilt, this shame, but, but he knows that temptation and he, he's all welcoming with open arms and yet he's without sin. Yet he still wants to embrace me. He knows me and he loves me. Then let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace To help in time of need. God sits on a throne, right? It is majestic. It is gold. It is brilliant. It is holy. It is powerful. But it is a throne of grace a comfy chair, a dinner chair, a a breakfast chair of grace that we can approach him with confidence uh, because he knows our temptations. He has walked every one of them yet without sin. And he he has these open arms and is beckoning us in that we might draw near to the throne of grace, not run away, that we might come to the source of life and rest and refreshment and reconciliation. Why? Why? Because we receive mercy and find grace. (laughs) Because in mercy, he says, you will not get what you deserve. I've been cut up in your place. And by grace, he says, and you will get everything you don't deserve as a son or a daughter. You can climb into my lap. A while back, we were at a a friend's house. They had let our whole family go and stay on vacation there. And we're over here. It's breakfast time again. I'm making breakfast. and I mean, it's a sweet house. And we're kind of like a a bull in a china shop no matter where we go, even if it's like Zava Zone, which like nothing's breakable. You know, like this is our family. There's a lot of us, and we're kind of chaotic. And and we're over here making breakfast, and, and Leo's over here. And and he hops on one of these rocker chairs right there. And, and I'm over here uh, making some eggs. And all of a sudden, I hear, Psh! And I look over. And this lamp has been knocked off the couch uh, table and, and is shattered on the ground. And everything in this place is really nice. So my immediate reaction was, Leo! And he just curls up in that chair all alone, and he starts crying. And I just run over. I pick up all the lamp first. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, man, I read on the bottom, Kate Spade. I'm like, that's going to be a nice lamp. <laughs> but, man, do I love my son. I put the pieces down, and I sit down next to him. And he climbs up into my lap. I say, it's okay, buddy. Look, dad's broken a lot of stuff too in his life. And you're, look, I forgive you, buddy. You didn't even mean to do it on purpose. And I just hug him and I hold him. And over the next few minutes, he just looks up at me with a deep rest. And he's sitting in my arms again like he does every morning at the breakfast table. Forgiven, embraced, We've fallen way short. We are a disobedient and a disbelieving people over and over again. It's the very source of our unrest. You can change your circumstances. You can look for a different relationship. You can hope for that child. You can get a different job. None of it will give you the rest you long for. But when you climb into the arms of your Savior, you will find that rest there. In Luke chapter 23, Jesus is on the cross. It was now about the sixth hour that's noon, and there's darkness over the land until about the ninth hour. While the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was then torn in two. We've talked about that curtain a little bit. It's that place where God dwells in the holy of holies where we can sit with him, be with him, enjoy him. None was let in but Moses. And in the tearing of this curtain, God is saying, come on in. And Jesus called out in a loud voice and said, Father, into your hands, into your arms, I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. In that moment on the cross of of our shame, our Savior was shamed and he climbed into the arms of his father. And the centurion looks on at what had taken place and he praised God saying, Certainly this man was innocent. (laughs) Yes, he was. Because in that moment, He took on our disobedience, our disbelief over and over again that we might climb into the arms of our Father because of the work of His Son on that cross. He bore our shame. He bore our disbelief. He bore our disobedience. This is the Lent season, and we are intentionally going through the book of Hebrews, that we would see, man, we would see the the warnings. And with great woe, we would say, oh, what a sinner am I. So I'd encourage you to hop on our resource page and get that roadmap and go through Hebrews with us that, that we might say, oh, man, I need a Savior. But then in Hebrews, we would say, what a mighty Savior we have. What Moses couldn't do, what angels couldn't do, our Savior has done rest we all long for and so seldom attain we can have today in him you failed you're not enough you're disobedient you have turned your back i've turned my back on our god you've done evil in his eyes this lent would it be a time when you would cling with great wonder to your savior And would this Lent also be a time where you would tell somebody something you haven't told anybody? Would you be filleted by his word but embraced by his grace in a way you could say, I have done this or I have not done that or just yesterday I looked at this or just today I thought that. Would you tell somebody today what you have not told anybody? Because of the grace of our Savior. Would you find freedom and rest in His forgiveness?